Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Theo Walcott and you listen to the Arsenal Weekly Podcast. Here's Alexis Sanchez! What a finish! Walcott's going to go through and score! Into the middle, Giroud! It's two! Hi, I'm Russell Hargreaves, welcoming you to the Arsenal Weekly Podcast for the week of the 29th of February 2016. On today's show, Theo Walcott joins us to talk about some of his favourite goals. John Cross also stops by with a State of the Nation address. We see the return of Access Arsenal and Adrian Clark is here to preview the huge North London derby. And let's kick off with the weekend review. Arsenal travelled to Old Trafford on Sunday, looking to keep pace with Leicester City after the Foxes' last gas winner against Norwich on Saturday. After an even opening half an hour to the game, the Gunners soon found themselves two down when United's man of the moment, Marcus Rashford, found the net twice in as many minutes. But Arsenal were soon back in the game just eight minutes later when Danny Welbeck came back to haunt his former employers, heading home from another Mesut Ozil free kick. So Mesut Ozil to take. Centre left position, killed inside the area towards Welbeck with a header! Manchester United have conceded here. Danny Welbeck with a diving header, brilliant delivery from Mesut Ozil. And the Gunners have got a foothold in the game once again. Courtesy of the one-time Red Devil, who scored here last season in the Cup and netted the winner against Leicester very late on this time around. He's given Arsene Wenger's side a bit of hope. That goal sent Arsenal into the break on the ascendancy, but they were dealt another hammer blow in the 65th minute through Ander Herrera. And then Mata looks to get something to that. It nearly breaks for Welbeck, but it's cleared away from Manchester United once again. Varela coming forward. Mata, good first touch. He's got Rashford through the centre. He's got Memphis moving as well. Rashford makes a move to the right-hand side. Has possession, looking to take on Gabriel. Still Rashford inside the box. Has he got an out ball here? Looks here. Varela with a shot. That's a terrific goal for Manchester United. Well, he was all alone. The perfect layoff from Rashford, who will claim the assist. But Anderreda still had plenty of work to do here, but he's managed to find the back of the net. And Manchester United have their two-goal cushion once again. Replays would show that the Spaniard's shot took a huge deflection off Laurent Koscielny, which left Peter Cech completely wrong-footed. But Arsenal still weren't finished yet, and just five minutes later, they halved the deficit again through Mesut Ozil. And we'll throw it along towards Giroud, battling away, looking for Welbeck. Welbeck forward towards Giroud. Giroud plays it into the path of Ozil. This is better from Arsenal. Alexis could be free on the left-hand side. Good first touch from Alexis. Welbeck calls for it inside the area. Blind is in the right place at the right time to deny Arsenal. Much better from the Gunners, and they still come forward once again after a poor ball from Schneiderlin. This is Alexis on the right-hand side, curling the ball in. It's towards Ramsey. It's towards Welbeck. Terrific save. And then Ozil on the volley. Finds the net, and Arsenal have got one back. 
3-2 here. In his press conference after the game, Arsene Wenger spoke about why he felt his team struggled in the match. Well, uh, I felt that uh, we had a lot of the ball, a lot of uh, possession, but uh, we were, of course, uh, favourised their, their game plan because uh, we conceded two quick goals and uh, two nil down. It's difficult. You have to take a gamble. And uh, overall, the regret is that uh, with having so much the ball, we uh, we conceded three goals, and uh, it's difficult away from home when uh, to win after that a game. Look, uh, it was a difficult game for us, and uh, I think overall uh, the team put the effort in. We uh, struggled to be dangerous. It's true because they defended very well, and. Uh, I uh, want to analyse the game again to see exactly uh, why. The boss also gave his thoughts on his side's title challenge now. Nobody knows is that we dropped three important points today and that uh, we have to show we are, that we are at the level of a fight like that and uh, bounce back on Wednesday night and not feel sorry for ourselves. That's what it means. Uh, after mathematically what it means, we know at the end of the season. So the defeat leaves Arsenal in third place in the chase for the Premier League title with key games against Swansea and Tottenham this week. We'll preview that clash against Spurs with Adrian Clark later in the show. But we'll talk to John Cross about the visit of Swansea next. Let's hear from another Arsenal insider on the Arsenal Weekly Podcast. Our Arsenal insider this week is a long overdue return for John Cross. Crossy, how are you, my friend? Everything all right? Everything's good, yeah. Nice to be with you, Russ. Not such a great week, I think it's got to be said here at the Emirates Stadium. Um, let's just take, if we can, a, a broad look across a 2-0 defeat against Barcelona in the Champions League and, of course, that 3-2 loss in the Premier League to Man United. Not ideal. No, it's been a happy uh, week, really. And I do think it was kind of two glorious opportunities. And I think that that obviously explains Arsene Wenger's very sort of uh, uh, understandably uh, frustrated and sombre mood um, after both games. I think more so perhaps even um, after after Barcelona, simply because I felt that um, I think for 70 minutes, Arsenal were competitive, very well disciplined. And I think they've earned and, and rightly so got a lot of plaudits for their disciplined defensive uh, rear guard action, if, if you like, really, when they set up and frustrated uh, the best team in Europe, the European champions, arguably the best team in the world, um, and, and really were keeping it tight. And I guess the game plan was keep it tight for 80, 85 minutes and see whether he can nick a late goal. Um, and, and that looked to be working. And then suddenly, uh, rush of blood, I think, you know, sort of kind of you know, a few players sort of swarm forward trying to sort of press a little bit too early, I would suggest, and, and kind of the game opened up once you open up the Barcelona, that front three of uh, Messi, Neymar and Suarez is going to destroy you and they did score and it leaves Arsenal with a formidable task in the, in the second leg. And then at Old Trafford, you, you expect a, a response, really. And I was up at Manchester United for that game as well and, and really you look at the United team sheet and you thought Arsenal might have an opportunity to go and win there, but... The record has, has been sort of patchy in recent times at Old Trafford and you thought this was a great opportunity. Uh, and really, the reality was that sort of United kind of thrived on the exuberance and, you know, sort of kind of uh, willingness of youth, whereas Arsenal sort of really struggled, I thought, under the weight of expectation and pressure a little bit. And it just didn't didn't come off. I 
Welbeck was good, Ozil played well, um, and they were obviously the scorers, but just wasn't enough for Arsenal. I do think it now leaves an awful lot to do to claw it back in the title race, which is uh, frustration, I think, for, for Wenger and more so the fans. So, John, we'll be talking in more detail about the North London derby before the end of the Arsenal Weekly podcast, but obviously Swansea this coming midweek and how vital, how pivotal is it that there is a response this time and, and, a, and a healthy and, and promising performance in three points? Well, I think it's, it's crucial. I think that um, Swansea obviously lost um, at, at White Hart Lane. <laughs> I don't know, the, the football fan in me always thinks that perhaps actually if you, you lose a game, then the, the team sort of then comes on the back of a defeat with even more resolve to try and get a, a, a pos more positive performance the next time. And so I do think that they won't be um, in, in their state of mind, particularly um, easy opponents. And I think down the years, Swansea have really proved to, to themselves to be excellent uh, Premier League team, really. And uh, obviously this season has been rather patchy. Um, and, and a bit difficult at times. But I do think it's a test for Arsenal and I think it will be a very, very difficult game. Fabianski, of course, you know, has a tendency to play very well against <laughs> Arsenal, his former club, and he did, did, did do ever so well at White Hart Lane, of course. But um, I, I, I do think Arsenal need a strong response. My worry for Arsenal was they just look a little bit tired and short of confidence and belief. That's when big players need to step up and that's why Arsenal really needs some of their bigger players, the experienced ones, to kind of deliver big performances to, to get the three points they need because anything else would be a huge, huge blow and a real setback. So I presume we might see Olivier Giroud back into the team and, and Alexis Sanchez, having been in and out with a few injury problems, is, is due getting back to something like his best, hopefully sooner rather than later, and, and that would be needed as well. Yeah, I think Sanchez is a concern at the moment um, because we know what he's capable of and he's just not really shown that yet. Um, obviously, I think when you've got a player like Sanchez, for Wenger, it must be difficult. Um, you want to see him sort of play his way back into form and I think that's maybe what he's been doing. And It's difficult, you get caught a little bit. Um, and I think with Sanchez, he just needs to get some form going again. I mean, look, Giroud, I, I think, is a terrific player, really good centre-forward. He had a poor game against Barcelona. I can understand why he was taken out of the firing line against Manchester United. He also gave Walcott the chance, particularly away from home, and thinking the kind of the front line would, would offer pace and kind of hopefully a bit of counter-attacking. It didn't really work at Old Trafford, but you think that at, at uh, home for Arsenal, Giroud, is the one that can kind of hold the ball up, sustain attacks and kind of really try and get the home team going again. And that's that's what they need, really. I also suspect whether you might see sort of Joel Campbell uh, as well. That's one to think about. I think Joel Campbell's had a terrific season. If there's been sort of a few positives out of this season so far, which, of course, there has been, um, then I think Campbell is certainly one of those. I think I love his work rate and his enthusiasm. He tracks back and he works hard for the team, and I do think that he's been a big positive. I also thought that Welbeck's performance at Old Trafford suggests that um, you know he's back in the groove already. The only obviously worry about uh, Welbeck is that he's been out for so long. Can you sort of put him in for you know however many quick games in succession, if you like? Really, that I'm sure that'll be on Baker's mind. Um, but at the moment, Welbeck looks um, looks fantastic and looks really in, in, in sharp form and, and ready to seize his opportunity, having been out for so long. 
Let's just quickly track back to Swansea for a moment. John, you mentioned that they've done well against Arsenal in, in recent times. And to be fair, have refound a fair bit of form since they slipped right down the table, which cost Gary Monk his job. What is it about them that you think is so effective and, and maybe effective in the matchup against a team like the Gunners? I think they're. I think they're difficult to beat. I think the way they set up and traditionally they play good football as well. I like players like Ashley Williams, who, whereas I think he's sort of kind of not played for a top four or even top six club really. I just think that he is a player who's fully committed. Maybe epitomises the Swansea spirit as, as well as anyone, and I think that they're very difficult generally to beat at the Liberty. Um, and, and sort of kind of down the years, they've given Arsenal some, some tough tests, haven't they, really? Uh, pulled off the odd surprise result and um, an upset against Arsenal. I like the way that they play with some width and some movement in midfield, uh, whoever they sort of um, put up. And, and generally, they're quite well organised and they have a togetherness and a unity. I think the club is run generally extremely well. I think people found... It's difficult to understand about with, with, with Gary Monk, but it was interesting that the sort of the uh, the hierarchy there, uh, Hugh Jenkins, has been sort of very proactive on on his changes and when he when he makes changes. And everyone felt sorry for, for for Gary Monk, but Gary Monk obviously was given the chance in the first place, and you know that was progressive forward thinking um, on Jenkins' behalf, and, and obviously he felt that the time was needed. For, for a change of direction again. And results have improved to such a point that you wouldn't, I don't think, even though there's not too much comfort there for, for, for Swansea, I don't think you'd put them in the bracket of those that you would immediately think of as three relegation candidate stroke certainties. And I think Swansea will be just fine come towards the end of the season. But I do think if you look at the table... They do need points. They're always competitive. They're, they're kind of, I think, perhaps their, their league position at the moment doesn't reflect the, the potential within the squad. And maybe that's why, of course, they made the managerial change to get the players to realise their potential. And I do think there'll be dangerous opponents for Arsenal as a result. No, I would agree with pretty much everything you said there, John. And, and just finally, dare I say, on the back of the, particularly the Man United disappointment Premier League-wise, do you think Arsenal will... Go on and bring that trophy home. I, 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 I don't. Uh, I can't see it. I think that Arsenal now are sort of slightly outsiders in the title race. I do think that the FA Cup is still there. Obviously, they've got an awful lot of work to do in the Champions League. That, that's difficult to say. But I don't think Arsenal's title race is over by, by any means. And it's funny, isn't it? Really, because Tottenham obviously have a very difficult sort of London derby at West Ham. You know, I was at Leicester at the weekend, for example, and kind of Leicester really sort of struggled a little bit against Norwich, but still won, which was obviously a positive from their perspective. Um, but I think on the on the back of that, I think that just sort of Arsenal, it was a, it was a major blow. So so let's let's get it in perspective. If Arsenal do, of course, beat beat Swansea, then you know Tottenham don't take maximum points. It puts them back within range of them, and then Leicester obviously, you know, sort of kind of. Have it, have it all to do. It's a different sort of pressure, and maybe that—that's why they're sort of doing so well. Because basically, you know, they've not been under this this pressure before, and it's a lot easier uh, to deal with this sort of pressure than fighting relegation. But I, I feel that sort of Arsenal now, the next two games, 
You know, if they can win on Wednesday night, and that, that you know that won't be easy by any means, um, and then go to into the North London derby and get a, a really positive result. The one thing they can't do in the North London derby is lose the game. People talk about kind of maybe setting the points tally um, over the next few games, but the one thing you cannot do is lose against the direct title rival. So I'm sure that Arsene Wenger, with all his experience down the years, will make sure that, that basically knowing that local pride is at stake as well, of course, um, that, they, that they kind of keep it together and, and really sort of kind of try and maintain and sustain the, the title race and the energy that's needed for that um, until the better end. Well, it's John Cross joining us here on the Arsenal Weekly Podcast. Always a pleasure, my friend, and uh, fingers crossed for what lies ahead. Yeah, absolutely, fingers crossed. In Access Arsenal, we take a closer look at some of the behind-the-scenes talent who work for the club. And I'm delighted to say that our Head of Football Media Operations, Dan Tolhurst, joins me now this week. Dan, great to have you, I would say, on this side of the fence, because obviously normally you're managing people like me and making sure that we don't, you know, behave in an untoward manner to the boss and so on. Definitely, it was really funny, wasn't it? When I, when I walked in the studio, I was saying how nervous it is sort of being this side of the, the operation. Usually I'm standing behind the interview, so whenever you see an interview with an Arsenal player or manager, I'm the one standing behind with my finger on the watch saying, you know, wind it up, cut, wind, wind it, it up. up. You've had your three minutes, <laughs> yeah. come on. So just rewinding, Dan, just tell me about you all those years ago. How did you come here and how did that all come about? Well, I, I, just, I found out that there was a job going at Arsenal. Um, it was the old, the old role was called a press officer. So as I said before, it was yeah. almost kind of dealing with the press, but now it's kind of moved to the media. So what were you doing at this point? I was working at a, um, a sports sponsorship um, company. So we were, deal we were working with the sponsorships of the England cricket team and England football team. So we were working with, yeah. with brands um, connected with those, those sports. But found out the job was going to Arsenal and um, applied for the job, got the interview, and the interview was one of the most daunting, nerve-wracking experiences <laughs> of my life. Worse than this? Yeah, nearly. <laughs> nearly. <laughs> the interview was with uh, Ken Fry, who was the managing director at the time. So the interview was in, the, uh, in, the, uh, in Ken Fry's office. So you, you come to the Marble Halls. What a place Highbury was. And mm. it's still so sad that we've left there. But yeah. we, we had to move, and we'll probably come on to that in a minute. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, went, went into uh, the interview with, with Ken Fry. And, uh, you know... Mr. Fryer, then I still t I still take things from that interview that he, he said to me, and uh, going back to the sort of values at Arsenal, and uh, he was talking about you know the respect and sportsmanship that they expect everyone at Arsenal to have, and uh, you know w whether we're playing Macclesfield or Man United, we treat our opposition the same when they, when we when we're going to mm. to places or when they're, when they're coming to us. So really strong values. I was so so impressed with, and obviously Mr. Fryer's still with us, working with us now, and it's uh, it's an amazing testament to to Mr. Fryer's commitment and loyalty to this club. It's, uh, but it was a, a, a what a, a kind of surreal experience, you know, being a, a big a big kind of football fan and yeah. coming to Arsenal to, to, to for an interview. But yeah, got got the job, and um, 17 years later, I'm still here. The rest um, is history, and you would yeah. still be here if you didn't obviously no. enjoy it, which says a huge Absolutely. amount, doesn't it? Absolutely. On that exact note, you mentioned the Marble Halls, and only got to cover a, a handful of games at the old stadium, yeah. but I remember it vividly, it was yeah. brilliant. Um, would that be one of your kind of prevailing memories? Just tell me a absolutely. few of the things that stand out over your time so far. Yeah, absolutely. Obviously, apart from the, you know, obviously the fantastic, you know, players and teams that I've been working with over the years. Yeah. You know, obviously the Invincible 2004, all the fans obviously know this, don't they? And But the great cup finals at Cardiff, you know, um, the 
the winning cup finals at Cardiff, but equally the, the, the one, one of the main memories in my, in my mind about going to Cardiff was uh, 2001. The, the press box is over the other side of the stadium yeah. At, at, yeah. at Cardiff, so you have to walk around, don't you? So, yeah. so about 10 minutes to go, we're 1-0 up, thinking, yeah, great, we're going to win the cup. You have to go inside the stadium and walk around inside so you don't know what's happening. And I promise you, I got to the other side and we were 2-1 down. So, <laughs> oh, no. so from knowing that we're thinking oh. we're going to win the cup, we've come lost the cup in 10 minutes. It's just it's devastating, devastating. But then, obviously, you know, there's been some fantastic moments. And Highbury, the move from Highbury to Emirates Stadium, I'm just so pr privileged to be a part of that. You know, mm. the, la the last season at Highbury, the different theme that we had, match days we had, and the last day at Highbury. One of my roles was to to get in touch with as many ex-players and legends, uh, ex-players and legends from our history as possible. So we managed to get 77 of them. No way. To the Fair last. few of those pictures that line yeah. the stadium, I would have thought those that are still Definitely. with us all were there. Not amazing. So making contact with all these old players and getting them down to the getting down to them the, the game of the last, last game of the season was um, amazing and such a great team effort and. Uh, it was a really proud day for everyone. Sad day, sad day as well, you know. Of course. Um, sad day, and, but we had to move on. But uh, then we moved, to, obviously, to Emirates Stadium, and, and that in itself was a, such, a, such a challenge because we went... This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. From being a football club to kind of being this communication company for a new stadium that was being built. Mm. Oh, by the way, Arsenal moving to the stadium. You're having to do that at the same time as kind of marking Highbury and giving a nod to Highbury and the, the, the sort of the, the great place it, it, it was. And keeping um, everything right on the pitch, of course, as well. And, and your role with that, too. And that was the year we got to the final of the Champions League, wasn't it, as well? Yeah. So there was so much going on. And uh, <laughs> yeah, and then moving to Emirates Stadium and having all the, the, the events uh, leading up to the, the, the first day there, obviously the Dennis Bergkamp testimonial. Yeah. Um, 
But no, it was, um, you look back with sort of great, great pride, great pride with that. And uh, I think the club did a really, really good job on, on moving from, from Highbury to Emirates Stadium. And, yeah, I... uh, you know, that, that last day and, uh, you know, everyone wearing the T-shirts and even giving Wigan the, bl the blue T-shirts and, uh, <laughs> and it, it, it worked so well. It was, it was all to plan, wasn't it, that, that it was the, the game as well. I've still got my little media clock from the very first game at the new stadium. Yes. Was it Aston Villa? It was Aston Villa, yeah, 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 yeah. So I was there covering that and, uh, yeah, that was a nice touch again. Not many clubs would give every single person from the media a specially stamped, lovely little clock to say you were here and you covered the first yeah. game at the new stadium. I thought that was a lovely touch. Goes back to our respect and sportsmanship, I think, doesn't it? You know? Wife tried to throw it away. Wouldn't <laughs> Guarded it. Still got it. In my study. Love yeah. it. Keep under lock and key. <laughs> so just finally, I think we've probably touched on this a little bit, Dan. But you, you talked about the, the kind of the respect and what's drilled in doctrine-wise here at the club. So what would you say is the best thing about being part of this Arsenal family? Well, I think it, I think we're about 450 staff now. I think at, at, wow. at uh, Arsenal. That's of course obviously the three sites. We've got uh, Highbury House here. at here at the stadium, um, then you've got Hayland and, and, and the training ground at London Colney. So what goes on at um, Hayland? Hayland's the, the, the academy, so that's right. for, the, for the younger players, basically. Right. Um, and then obviously the, the 16 to 18 year olds then move to London Colney. Yeah. Um, so we're, although we're um, quite we're sort of a few miles apart, we, we still keep in great contact with each other, good contact with each other. Um, but I think, you know, it's, it, as I said, it's that kind of that class that Arsenal has, isn't it? You know, I, I, it's, it's really difficult to kind of put your finger on it, but I, I always say to people, I don't know whether you know that on a, on a match at Emirates Stadium, um, the flowers in the director's box are always the colour of our opposition. So that kind of, for me, nice. just sort of puts your finger on the, the sort of class and respect that's sort of instilled in people that, that works here. And uh, no, it's just a, it's an honour and privilege to, 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 to work here. And um, I think a great part about sort of my job and everyone that works at Arsenal is that you can actually give something back. And Arsenal's like really powerful, isn't it? You know. I, I just think the things that I'm really proud of is being involved in, you know, like hospital visits to, and all that we got yeah. the lads to, all the players to go down to I love that visits. kind of thing. Yeah. I've, I've had the pleasure of covering a few over the years in football and rugby with various different London broadcasters and so on. And the power and the Definitely. potential to do good that sportsmen have is brilliant. And I think they get quite a bad rep there that, OK, yes, sometimes there are problems and we see that off the yeah. field and so on. But actually, I think when they get in that, to that kind of situation, it, it's brilliant. And it's so heartily embraced as well. Definitely. And the, and the lads really enjoy it. The boys really yeah. enjoy it. The, the, you know, it's, it's, as you say, Russell, it's kind of everyone looks at, you know, Arsenal have lost. This player has done this, this player has done that. But actually, behind... Behind, underneath the surface, Arsene Wenger once said, you know, the football club's like an iceberg, isn't it? The, the, the tip of the iceberg's the, the football on the pitch, but there's so much going on underneath, you know? Um, I don't know if you've talked with, um, with other guys that work at the club, but uh, we've got, um, it's relatively new, it's called the Community Hub at Emirates Stadium. It was kind of the final piece of the jigsaw of when we moved here. Um, so the Community Hub, and uh, loads of things go on there, you know? Loads of local schools are coming in there, and we get the, the players, when, when they meet up before a match, basically they drive in the morning before or the night, bef or the night before. So for some Champions League games this season, they've driven in the, the, day, the morning mm -hmm. of the match. And um, for example, there we had a, a session with um, some amputee footballers, footballers and they, we, have a, we have a session, a regular session there at the Community Hub. So we got a few of the boys down, a few of the players down, and they love it, you know? And that for me is so rewarding, you know? Going to hospitals at Christmas, um, you know, we get the, we get the lads to, to um, give messages, video messages to people with difficult circumstances in their lives, you know? That, and the, the feedback we get from the families and the people is so rewarding, you know? And I, I sometimes think that we don't, 
we don't see that enough, you know. Mm. Everyone just thinks, oh, the so-and-so player's been sent off for a game. Yeah. And, you know, or so-and-so's in the papers for so the wrong reasons. Not that it happens to very often at all, but... No, no, but, it, yeah. It, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But, um, you know, that, and that part of it, so, so going back to your question about sort of what, what's the best part, that, that for me is really, is really the part that, that I really enjoy. Brilliant stuff. That's Dan Tolhurst, who is the head of football media operations here at Arsenal. As part of Access Arsenal, really fascinating chat, mate. And nice to spend a good bit of time with you. And uh, normally it's you keeping me on the straight and narrow at the media conferences. So good to have a good chat. Really enjoyed it. And you. Thanks, mate. And it's Adams put through by Bold. Would you believe it? Or Charlie George, who can hit him. It's up for grabs now! Thomas! Right at the end! On March the 2nd, 2002, Dennis Bergkamp treated us to a moment of magic at St James's Park. Ten minutes into the league game against Newcastle United, he did this. Torres, Walter makes a run ahead of it. Bergkamp suddenly changed pace through the centre. It's Bergkamp! That's magnificent! The move, and then this, which left Dabby's ass totally stranded. Arsenal would go on to win that game 2-0 with Dennis turning provider for Sol Campbell to score the second. Here's Arsene Wenger's memories on that memorable strike. We forget sometimes how quickly you have to make decisions around the box and how quickly you have to be perfect. And uh, when that all comes together, of course, uh, you know uh, you even more admire things you know you're not capable to do. You don't you even give up. You will not even try to do it. It's, uh, it's, it's an element of uh, great technical skill, but as well of surprise, because I think when the two come together, that's uh, where you, the admiration comes in. You know, you admire, of course, the skill, but when the skill is linked with creativity and efficiency, that's where you go down on your knees and say, thank you very much, I wanted to see that in my life. <laughs> the goal would go on to be voted Arsenal's greatest of all time by the fans, and it's just another reminder of why many consider Dennis to be the greatest gunner of all time, and that's some accolade. I'll have another history lesson next week, but we'll move from one Arsenal centre forward to another next, and speak to Theo Walcott. Theo Walcott recently celebrated 10 years as an Arsenal player, scoring 82 goals in 334 appearances to date, including the opener in last season's FA Cup final. He sat down with Arsenal media's Carl Finocchiaro to talk about all things goals. Uh, mate, we're talking about great goals on the podcast today with the anniversary of Dennis's wonder goal against Newcastle back in 2002. Uh, what's the best goal you've ever witnessed when you've been on a football pitch? We're testing your memory today. Good podcast. I'm not going to say anything. Come on, though. You just said you could goals. remember loads of goals. And then yeah, but let me my own. Away. Do you know what one that probably stands out a little bit, I'm trying to think, is Sammy Nasri's against Fulham. He dribbled through like everyone, basically. I don't know if people really remember that goal, but he dribbled through a lot of players. And put it in the top. Yeah, you remember, yeah? Good. Happy yeah, days. I remember. I'm going to bail you out. No, it was an amazing goal. That was an amazing goal. People would be like, oh, yeah, I'm going to get But again, that goal was ridiculously good. He scored two goals that game, did he? I think so. Well, the one he dribbled for everyone anyway. That's all that sort of. I can't. There's been a lot of great goals, that. Yeah, and obviously at the Emirates as well. So, yeah. Away from one you've been on the pitch from? Is there a, is there a strike, a favourite goal that you've ever seen? One that sticks in your mind? Um, I would. 
oh god there's been a lot there may have been actually no particularly the the game it was Thierry's against Real Madrid again the run and then the finish um, and I was on the bench at the time and seeing that and obsessed when Arsenal got to the to the Champions League final that goal would stand out there may be betters but I just think in the Champions League against obviously one of the top top clubs in the world that would has to be up there I would have thought are you a student of the game in terms of you? You know heaps of the fam- the famous goals like the Tony mm. Yeboah strikes. You you yes. know all those goals. Yeah, I know all those goals. Yeah, obviously Jimmy Floyd Hasbank's got a hell of a hell of a right foot on him. So yeah, and the Zolas and the even the Trevor Sinclairs, these goals like that. I, I, yeah, I love watching great goals. A lot of Chelsea players you name there, but we won't hold that against. Sorry. You. <laughs> <laughs> um, what's the best goal you've ever scored, and why is that? Um, I would probably say. I quite like, I quite like the goal, you know, um, against uh, Newcastle, the third one. Um, there may be better goals, but I, I particularly like that one because it's a hat trick goal as well. It's like the eighty, sorry, so it's like the ninetieth something minute, I think. And obviously I had the free kick, and I just thought I want to get a goal. <laughs> I want to try and get this goal. This game's ridiculous. The amount of goals that have been in this game, I want to get another one. And the fact that you just play to the whistle. You always tell kids play to the whistle. You always say in training just play to the whistle, um, and I did. And um, Caught everyone by surprise and uh, obviously dinked the goalkeeper. And uh, it was nice because my granddad at the time was in the hospital and that was for him. Um, so it's always, always stuck with me that particular moment anyway. Yeah. Is there a sneaky goal you've scored that maybe isn't as spectacular as that one, but you've got a, a kind of soft spot for? Maybe an important goal? Um, yeah. Maybe in an FA Cup final? Oh, wow. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. Um, None of that is no, I know you're hinting it, but yeah, that would... You know, obviously the, the year before I missed the FA Cup due to the obviously serious knee injury and... It's funny how football works. Like, you know, you say karma in the game, but it generally was then anyway. Uh, you know, obviously missed it, and then I've managed to score the first goal. Um, and obviously not the, the, the week before scoring a hat trick going into the FA Cup final, so I was completely buzzing with confidence. And yeah, I took it really well on my left foot. I scored quite a lot of good goals on my left foot actually. Um, and yeah, I, I knew where my family was as well in the box in Wembley, and I just had to. Yeah, you could see the emotion in me. It, it meant a lot. Yeah. Um, what's your favourite type of goal? Team goal, long ranger, solo goal. I would have asked you headed goal, but obviously we. we I do, I do generally, yeah. I don't do those, but I generally yeah. do quite like a headed goal. Um, but I, um, I do quite like the wonder goals because you don't see them often. You don't. You generally don't see someone who gets past two and then pings it in from thirty-five yards. You know, obviously Gerard was well known for that and Lampard. Um, uh, and I think Flamini's had a good one against Newcastle, actually. <laughs> and Thomas Rosicky's got a hell of a right foot against Tottenham. So they're the goals I, I, I tend to I quite like, yeah. Um, all right, if you could nick one person's goal in history and have it as your own. Thierry Henry's against the United. Easy. Yeah, without Easy. a doubt. Without a doubt. Yeah. That goal, yeah. It would have to be. I, I, straight away, I knew. I knew straight away. Brilliant. Thanks, mate. No worries. Sweet. After missing out on the 2014 World Cup, Theo will be looking to make his mark on the European Championships in France this summer for the England national team. But before that, there's the small matter of a Premier League title running, and that starts on Saturday against Tottenham at White Hart Lane. Adrian Clark will be in the Match Day Show presenter's chair for the biggest North London derby in recent memory this coming Saturday. Adrian, 
sharply dressed as ever. How's it going, my friend? Looking good? Uh, uh, thank you very much. Um, it's all all right. Um, I, I'm feeling a little bit, little bit down in the dumps after the defeat at Old Trafford, but we've got to pick ourselves up, haven't we? We have, we have, and uh, obviously Leicester have to be factored into the mix, but is this potentially some kind of title decider? <laughs> I don't think it's a title decider because of Leicester, but it is, without doubt, the most important North London derby we've had in many, many, many years, I'd suggest, so it's an exciting one. I'm sure a lot of the fans will be nervous ahead of the game. I don't think, even though Arsenal have got a really good record against Spurs... I still don't think a lot of Arsenal fans really enjoy the North London derby, so I imagine thousands, if not millions, might be watching it through their <laughs> fingers this, uh, this weekend. Um, but hopefully it'll go well. And historically, it's a game that's brought some wonderful matches, hasn't it? And such drama and such intensity and such quality as well. Very much so, yeah. I, I, unfortunately, I never got to play in one in the first team level, but I played in the youth team and the reserves. And even the derbies at that level were really frenetic and really passionate and, and the type of games that were meaty. And um, it always is, it really. And, and at White Hart Lane, I've got to say that the, the atmosphere can be pretty hostile. And the Arsenal players have to be ready, not just for a really strong Tottenham team, but for the atmosphere that will greet them, because they're going to be pumped for this one. You didn't stick the boot in against your opposite number from the Spurs reserves, uh, did you, Adrian well, Clark? Well, no, I'd never stuck my boot in on anyone. So. <laughs> <laughs> in all sincerity, this Tottenham team really have kicked on, haven't they? Great manager in Maurizio Pochettino. And all the doctrines that he's worked on since he arrived a season and a half ago seem to be really paying dividends now, don't they? Definitely. I wasn't massively impressed with them last year. I thought that they were very inconsistent, often quite sluggish. But this time around, they've had virtually no faults. They've been so strong. And, and yeah, the, like you say, the philosophy that he brings, the fitness, the energy, the stopping the opposition from playing has just come... It's borne fruit really, really well. And they've also got match winners. So they are a much improved team this year, Spurs, as much as it pains me to say it. We keep talking about how this is an open league. So are we being disrespectful to say that that's helped them be up here? Or do you think in pretty much any season they'd be there or thereabouts, given how good they are? I think um, they would be up there in any season because they have the best defence in the league in terms of their record. They don't give up many goals. They don't make many mistakes. And they score plenty at the other end. And, and that, that's not an issue for them. This season, it's not all about Harry Kane. It was last season. If he didn't do the business last year invariably they wouldn't have won. This time around, his goals haven't actually contributed to that many points directly. So, so yeah, I think they are the real deal this year, Tottenham. I think their squad is thin if they got injuries, and they've been quite lucky in that regard, I've got to say, but if, if they suffer the injuries levels that we, that we have here, I don't think they'd be in the mix, but they are, and uh, they're definitely contenders. Yeah, for me, parts of their squad are quite strong. Like They've got a pair of excellent rotating fullbacks in each position, for example. Yep. And, you know, probably behind the front man, they've got five options for three spots, that kind of thing. But I know what you mean. In certain other areas, they're probably one injury away from being in big trouble. Well, they've only got Harry Kane up front, really. Let's be honest. I know that, that Son can do a job up there. Shadley has in Europe. Yeah, but not they're really not proper centre-forwards. Yeah, yeah. I think it's amazing that Spurs went into the season with one striker and they've got away with it, really, because Kane wasn't playing well at the start of the season, but he, now that he's come good and he's staying fit, 
goals aren't an issue. And, and let's credit their attacking midfielders, the guys you were talking about, because they've all stepped up to the plate this season. And obviously Kane's got his mask of Zorro now as well. We shall see whether all that that's still Everyone the case. Everyone has these days. Yeah. It's, it's the in thing, isn't it? Um, for me as well, Dyer and Ali uh, as the new midfield engine room to the point that Ben Slebb obviously can't get even in the squad and Ryan Mason is kind of coming back, but they've been excellent. That's a big upgrade for me. Definitely, yeah, Dyer. It was a gamble, really, from the manager to put him as the chief holding player in midfield because he's a defender. We often saw him at right back or centre-half. Could he play there? He's answered that question this season. He's been terrific. He's very comfortable on the ball. And Ali, he's just been a revelation. He's a young player. That's been another exciting factor of this season. So many new players to the Premier League, whether they're at Leicester or new signings like the Payet or, or kids coming through. We've seen it with Rashford at Manchester United. And Ali is just another of these kids that have, that have blossomed and he's been brilliant. I think we've praised our North mm. London rivals far too much. Let's get into some weaknesses. <laughs> Where can Arsenal target them and rip them apart? Well, <laughs> the thing about Tottenham this year is that they don't have any glaring weaknesses. Um, I've got to say that Kevin Wim has come in for, for Tonga and, and has well. been solid. Has, yeah. um, if I was to pick out one area, it would be in central midfield alongside um, Eric Dyer. Because Ali has really been playing at 10. It's been Dyer and Dembele that have been the unit. And, and Dembele is another player that's improved this year. He's been injured. And, and if he's not fit to play, then I wonder if the replacement is going to be good enough. It could be Mason. It could be Bentaleb. Last weekend, it was Christian Eriksen. And I don't know if they're brave enough to put Eriksen alongside Dyer in central midfield. So if there's a chink, it, it might be that Dyer may have too much to do in that engine room, but um, it's you know slim pickings when you're looking for faults at the moment. I'm just trying. Mason's listening to this one. Wait and see. Kind of motivated him. We'll be careful. Um, tell me a key head-to-head -head battleground. I would pick out actually um, Ali against Francis Coquelin. Francis. Yeah has disappointed me a little bit in terms of his form since coming back uh, into the side. It's not easy at all to, when you've been out for a long period. And he was on such a good run before, but he, he hasn't hit the ground running to the same level. And he, he and Aaron Ramsey, they struggled, I thought, at, at Manchester United. And they have to improve in this game. Francis needs to take his game back to the levels we saw from him last season and earlier this season to handle Deli Alley because he will break into the box and look to score a goal and it's imperative that Francis tracks him every step of the way. OK, so finally we've uh, established it won't be easy. No. But in a sentence, how do you beat Tottenham? <laughs> it is, it's, it's not easy, <laughs> uh, but in a sentence, I think you, you beat Tottenham by matching their intensity. We have to be pumped up for this game. We weren't at Old Trafford. If we're focused, a really aggressive against Spurs, I think our superior quality, and I do think we have superior quality, will shine through, but we have to win the battle first. That's the key. Clarkie, always a pleasure. And don't forget, you can join Adrian alongside Nigel Winterburn for the pre-match build-up on Arsenal.com. That's from 12.15pm on Saturday, and then uninterrupted commentary from 12.45. That's full time on this week's show. Our thanks to Theo Walcott, John Cross, Dan Tolhurst and to Adrian Clark for their contributions today. Remember, if you've not already done so, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and you'll never miss a new show. We're back on Monday the 7th of March and until then, it's bye for now and come on, you gunners.
Thanks for listening. And remember, you can subscribe to the Arsenal Weekly Podcast on iTunes or listen to a new show every Monday on arsenal.com and SoundCloud. The Arsenal Weekly Podcast. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.